Welcome to Shit Your Teenagers Won't Tell You, and trust me, there's a lot of it. I'm Kathy. And I'm Meredith. And we're experts on teens. Yes, that's actually a thing. We've worked as college admission officers, prep school administrators, and have coached and mentored thousands of teens in our lifetimes. When it comes to teens, we've seen it all. Teens can be wild and wonderful all at once, but they can also frustrate the hell out of you. The good news is that we speak teen. So join us every week as we drop knowledge and interview teens and other experts to help you gain valuable insight into your teenager's world. Because parenting is hard AF, but we've got your back. Hey, everyone. Uh, Welcome to another episode of Shit Your Teenagers Won't Tell You. A couple weeks ago, or a couple episodes ago, I can't remember the order, Kathy, uh, you had a bone to pick. Oh, yes. And today, I have a bone to pick. (laughs) I feel like we're always picking bones on our show, though. We're like little scavengers. (laughs) We always have something that we're like, like, little vultures. Tear the meat off this thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, girl. Okay, are you ready? Tell the people. I'm telling you all. Meredith's I'm annoyed. I'm yep. annoyed. Well, okay. So what prompted all this, Meredith? What prompted this? So mm-hmm. last week, maybe two weeks ago, I can't remember. I started seeing all these articles, mostly from Princeton, about how Princeton was no longer going to publish their admission statistics during the admission cycle, sort of on their website, which is, a you know, for those of you who don't know, you're less familiar with the process is pretty typical. Like if you were to Google Duke and Duke admission, usually there's some kind of freshman admitted student profile on most of these colleges websites. And this was hailed in the media, mostly by Princeton itself. And I'm not trying to pick on Princeton per se, but actually I am. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And Cornell and Stanford, who are also doing the same thing, you know, as this sort of They're choosing not to publish this information in the same way that they have in previous years because they no longer want to center the focus on their selectivity and it sort of decreases equity in the process and they don't want to be in this highly selective admission arms race. Mm. And you know what I say, Kathy? Oh, I think so, but go ahead. (laughs) I say bullshit. I say bullshit. I say this is yet another way in which colleges are complicit in exacerbating the anxiety and frenzy that can sometimes surround highly selective college admission. And the way they're complicit is up to this point, they have had very opaque processes, which is kind of like what I want to talk about today, what's pissing me off. And not only is this making a process less transparent in my mind, but they're also like lauding it as something in the name of equity. And that's yeah, what yeah. bothers me. That's what really bothers me. Well, it's like, this okay, is interesting. Because in- you and I, you and yes. I are same C's. And so when this news came out, I saw the same thing and I was kind of like, I kind of maybe sort of see like, what you're trying to like, try maybe, maybe but mostly I feel like. Okay. It hurts. I think it's window dressing. You think, win- you think yeah, yeah. I, okay. I think the 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 spirit behind it, I understand the argument that's being made. 
But there are other parts of the admission process that if a highly selective institution, in my mind, were really like going to put their money where their mouth is, really, there are other parts of the process that they would be more transparent around or they would make changes around. Absolutely. Like, for example, if you really want to like have chutzpah to, to use a Yiddish word my mom would use, you would no longer participate in rankings. That's a way to make a statement. That's a way to say we are getting out of this arms race. We refuse to participate in U.S. News and World Report rankings. Mm-hmm. We're not doing it. Totally. There are more powerful statements that schools could make around uh, equity than withholding their admissions data yeah, or their and- admit rate. I think right. that's what specifically what it was, right? Like we're not going to share the admit, admit rate. rate and and just to be clear, everybody. They will be publishing that information in the common set data, which is sort of a collection of aggregate admission data that all colleges are sort of required to submit. But that is a very obscure kind of like industry specific document that like you kind of have to know it even exists. Right. You have to be on the inside to know that there is something called that. Yeah, which is why I want to say common set data, common set data. Everybody go look. Google it. Google it. Google it. Because type in the school's name, type in common set data, and then you'll right. see all their admission data, most of it. So I guess my bone to pick is like, we work with students, you know, we've, we've talked, we've spent many episodes talking about the frenzy that surrounds college admission and the way in which it injures mental health, potentially mm-hmm. it prioritizes and privileges stuff that in the long run doesn't really matter. And I don't like I just want colleges to own it. Like you're highly selective. You have a 3.4% admit rate. Own it and be upfront with it. Don't pretend like it's a meritocracy. Right. That's that's kind of like the fallacy to me is that highly selective admission. And this is what a lot of families believe. And I think you and I sort of like spend a lot of time dispelling this notion. Like it's not a meritocracy. There's an aspect of it that is merit-based. I don't want to minimize that. Mm-hmm. but it ain't a meritocracy. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to stop right there because I literally could spend the next 30 minutes talking, but I'm going to shut up for a second. Got more to well, say. I totally get it because when I talk to, I mean, I feel you, right? Like you and I are totally on the same page about college admissions being real dumb. Like when we talk to kids, <laughs> You know, like the kids that we work with, you know, it's like they work so hard and they're just thinking in their little heart of hearts, like I've been doing the absolute best that I can and I'm not sure I could have do I could do any more. And so why can't I get into these highly selectives? And I was like, well, maybe you will, but the process is such that it's just not how that works. <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell yeah. you. And they're like, but what can yeah. I do? And I'm just like... Listen, this process, the college admissions process is crazy. And I think yeah. when we see policies like this come out or, you know, whatever things that make us angry, right? We're like, why are colleges doing this? It just feels like colleges are so out of touch with yeah. the experience of yeah. the children. And let's be clear, they are children applying to this high stakes, high pressure, you know, and I think colleges are like, well, you know, the highly selectives are like, well, there's there's all these other colleges. I'm like, well, okay, then stop making it so, then stop marketing so, in such a way that makes your college seem like, I mean, it is the end all be all. And if you don't come to your school, I'm frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, yes, because 
and to be clear, you know, we have a lot of friends who still work in admission at highly selective institutions. Ooh, yeah. We could think- get we could get John Burdick on this show <laughs> tomorrow from Cornell. I know. To talk I know. To Actually, I think we should. I think we should to yeah, be we, like, fair John and balanced. Counterpoint. Because obviously I you and I you have know. some bias. Um I think we should as a counterpoint for sure. I think that would be a healthy thing for us to do. Yes. Um, but I think that like what bothers me is it, to me, there's a level of um, benign neglect and maybe even duplicitousness, like what would actually be student-centered. And so this is the difference, right? Like are admission practices student-centered? And the answer to that is no. And when you make no. policies like the policy that has recently been adopted by some of these highly selective institutions, it has this sort of veneer of student-centeredness. But when you really investigate it more thoroughly, if these colleges were really serious about centering their process in ways that were equitable, that armed and empowered students and families to make educated choices about where they were applying, they would be more transparent, not less. They would start, you know, part of why the college admission scandal became the college admission scandal is because those of us who are on the inside, those of us who've worked in this game for a minute, understand that a lot of highly selective admission processes is set up to benefit privilege. Like, and it's set up to better benefit the school. Like, I tell families that all the schools are businesses, universities are are businesses. businesses. They have bottom lines, right? Exactly. They're not all these just like yes, not all touchy feely. Yeah, it's not all touchy feely. We're gonna love and nurture your kid and this, that, and no, they want your money, fools. (laughs) And and like you know what? I'm not mad at that, right? Right. Like that's I'm not mad at that. I just wish there was more honesty about that. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Like, I mean, it's hard. Of course, like, they're businesses. They're allowed to be that way. They, they should think about raising money. They should think because those are the things that fund amazing research that has societal benefit that educates the next generation of young people that can make a huge contributions to society. Those are all value adds, like uh, not criticizing that. I'm yes, criticizing your, your dad I, is a professor at a university and yeah. you and I have both worked in admissions yeah. and we were the sales team, right? Like if you, who is the admissions team? The admissions team is the sales team, right? You're going out and you're like, we like to think we're educators, but a big part of what we're doing is, I mean, it depends on the school. Some schools are selling harder than others, right? But it's a business people. And it's, that's why like class, when you look at whatever, one of these highly selective Stanford, for example, how many kids are they admitting that are actually was just talking to my friend. Not hooked. Right. I was just talking to my friend who is a former admissions, Stanford admissions officer. And to be fair, she hasn't worked in Stanford in a long time, but she works on the school side now working with students. But, you know, we were just having brunch and she was talking about like, you know, when I think about Stanford, even when I was working there, like Mm -hmm. how many kids Mm -hmm. weren't hooked? Like how many spaces did it really leave for quote unquote holistic admission to the university? Can you explain what hooked means? What you mean by that? (laughs) Yeah, it's it's hooked. So having a special talent like athletic talent is oftentimes mm-hmm. very much favored in the admissions mm-hmm. process because mm-hmm. athletics, especially if you're a D1 school, is big money, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. we went to USC, we worked at USC, USC mm-hmm. is a D1 school and football and basketball, like those sports make a lot of money for that school. Yep. And therefore like football players... And basketball players, their profiles are going to look way different than a typical yeah. admitted kid, right? And that's yeah. because we're bringing them to the university 
because they offer a talent that the yeah. school actually needs, right? right? So it's a school need. And then money, <laughs> right? Yeah. And this is the the part of the college admissions scandal that people were like, well, you know, like those of us who worked in admissions were like, oh, well, this happens all the time, except for just legally through development. Right? Thank you. Yeah. Speak on it. <laughs> like, oh, paying Speak on it to get your kid into college. Well, we that actually does happen. And we have friends who work in development. And you're if you're if your kids go to private school, guess what? They have a development office too. <laughs> like that is just yeah how it works at these private institutions or even right. public institutions. That public also institutions happens too. Yeah, at the, yeah, at the big state schools like flagship states, like that absolutely happens everywhere, right? So legacy. You didn't talk about that legacy. Well, it's it, legacy has been in the news recently because people are like up in arms about getting rid of legacy admissions, which some schools have adopted, and I appreciate. Yeah. Um, but legacy, right? Like if your parents both went to Yale, like maybe you're going to have a better chance of getting into Yale. So that's just like privilege, reproducing privilege, like from the equity. That's like what I'm you saying. You and I also live in the equity, like equity space. We care a lot about equity and inclusion. And if you are admitting the majority of your class is going to be, t- the spaces are going to be taken up by hooked kids. And so this so, is what we mean by hooked. There's a, there's a statistic that I want to share that students from the richest 1% of families are 77 times more likely to go to an Ivy league school than a child from the poorest fifth. Right. Mm -hmm. Which doesn't surprise you and me. Right. Like that's not surprising to us. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you think about that, like, and I'll even share my own experience. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that I absolutely benefited from privilege in the process. My dad works at the university right there. It's going to be harder to say no to a faculty kit if I have like, you know, and I want to be clear when we're talking about this, we're not saying that the students who are getting in those football players, like, it's not that they're not qualified or that they're not being vetted, you know, because Kathy and I were in positions of vetting those people, but it's, it's to remember that colleges admit different kinds of students, like just to be really like, let's pull the curtain all the way back. Like if a school needs an oboe player. That's what they're being evaluated on, that their SAT score falls well below the average or that their GPA is well. Like that's when you hear these stories of like, I can't believe that kid got into the school. They don't even fit the profile. It's because they probably had something else going on that met one of the institution's needs. And I think colleges and universities are a lot like, of course, they have different kinds of priorities, different kinds of institutional buckets that they're trying to fill. I got no problem with that. I got a problem when they don't be, when they're not honest about it. Right. I'm so annoyed. It's making me mess up my grammar and you know that I don't. Do <laughs> you never mess up your grammar. Oh, but, you really but like I benefited from privilege, <laughs> right? I went there by the time I got to USC, my brother was already there. My dad was there. You know, my dad was able to literally like walk my application over to the admission office. This was, I actually filled it out. I think in paper, I can't remember. I, think it was paper I did. Still. I typed mine on. The yeah. <laughs> and you know, because he had like, he knew someone like, think about that. Like, think about the access that someone like me had that is denied to so many now. So that's why I want to be clear. Like the college admission process is not fair in a lot of ways. In some ways it is certainly reasoned, thoughtful, um, consider it. It's, it, this doesn't exist on a binary, everybody like there's land in the middle, but I just don't like the, 
the hypocrisy of sort of like fronting as if you're trying to increase access and equity when really Mm -hmm. like the way to do that is no longer participate in rankings. Schools have like, you know, everyone's sort of like praising the move of many schools to go test optional. The SAT, the ACT, a lot of them during the pandemic pandemic went test optional. A lot of them are bringing them back. Hi, MIT, I see you. Um, <laughs> Don't say a lot. But even so that far, is so MIT problematic. Brought it back, and let's hope. I'm like hoping against all hopes that this is not the norm that they're going to remain. Yeah, but even life. I think even that is a little. It's a little smoke and mirrors, right? Because what that can do is it can increase the volume of people. Like if SAT, ACT is no longer a, like a barrier it increases the the volume of applications, the mm-hmm. higher volume of applications you have, the fewer students you admit, the lower your admit rate is. It disproportionately skews test reporting data like to the higher test scores because those are the only kids that are going to submit test scores or the ones who scored really well. So it's a whole thing, people. And I'm not saying, I, I think that's a positive move. I think schools should get rid of the standard, like standardized tests are so biased and the construct of the SAT is don't get dumb. me started. You know, <laughs> it's dumb. <laughs> it's dumb. So anyway, well, and this is why, you know, and why do we, the thing is like, you and I get so up in arms about this stuff. Like we get all worked up because we work with kids and we see the harm that it does to kids and families. That's and then right. we see, you know, we also operate in these wealthy elite spaces and where we see right. like parents just going to extraordinary ends like extraordinary ends to try to get their kids some sort of advantage and even if it's not that like even if it's just yeah not not an extremely well-connected or wealthy family that we're working with these other families are just like at a complete loss like they're spinning their wheels and we'll yeah. do, we're going to do another episode on this but they're just like the lack of transparency makes it so that everybody's just guessing it's the blind leading the blind and these parents are spinning themselves and kids are spinning themselves into a frenzy around like well what is it that well i heard this thing well i heard it was that thing like can you just tell people (laughs) this is what i'm saying this is what i am saying like just tell people be real (laughs) and and also like what is their sort of ethical responsibility to partner with those of us who work day to day with high school students, whether in schools or outside of schools, because one of the things that I really, you know, most good college counselors want to help children develop balanced lists. And the way that I help a student construct a list is to consider sort of their academic kind of profile in light of the typically accepted profile of of a school. And I could, my ability to do that is so much better when I have information and I can steer kids away from making, you know, unwise choices, applying, overreaching. So what I would want to see is not less information, but more. Give me your admit rate. Give me your admit rate for early decision and early action. Give me your admit rate for regular decision. Give me your admit rate for the school of engineering, for the school of cinema, for the school of whatever, like give us information that allows us to help students craft better lists. That would actually probably eliminate a lot of the the frenzy, right? Well, and I think, I think that would actually help ease some of this horrible game of telephone that can happen in the college admission process where it's like, I heard that. Duh, 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 duh. It's like, if you have facts and data to point to, 
it's just helpful. Because I think but, colleges do have that internally, yeah. right? They are looking at lots of internal factors, tons of data, of admissions. You and I know that. We well, used you to and know I that know. all the time. Exactly. We well, and that. I used to tell parents, it like, exists. like, admissions is not, because they just feel like it's a lottery, right? Like, oh, it's just totally random. And, no, like, they have not. this group of really great kids, and then they just, like, randomly pick one. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's not <laughs> exactly how it works. There is, it's informed by data, right? Absolutely. And, it would be great if some of that more of that data was made transparent for families because I think, you know, I'm sitting here trying to put on my like if I was an admissions officer still and I was listening to this podcast episode, I would want to know, well, like what is the mechanism for doing all of the things that you're suggesting, right? Like of course, mm-hmm. like not participating in the rankings, offering more data, right? Numbers, like what percentage of kids where they're coming from, mm-hmm. all of that stuff is really helpful. What percentage are first generation what percentage are students mm-hmm. of color what percentage mm-hmm. are athletes what percent like you show that school, data. private school public yeah school, just private give school. us some info because that would i think it might paint a school in a bad light and so therefore exactly they're like oh well let's not share that data because it exactly. doesn't make exactly like these pinnacles of like altruism that we're trying to make ourselves and that's and that is the hypocrisy i'm talking about like be as selective as you want to be, need to be for your institution to meet. Like that's not going to change, but be upfront about it and give, you know, because it's just, it's really tricky to like, listen to sort of the, the ways in which schools want to be student centered, but they're not really making moves to be students. They're not really walking that talk in demonstrable ways. And that's okay because, and I want to be clear because they may have certain institutional priorities that mean they cannot be as student-centered as maybe the individual admission counselor sort of ethically wants to be. Like, for example, develop, it's not going away anytime soon, right? No, no. Having sort of different kinds of, you know, more flexible policies around certain special talents isn't going away anytime soon. I think that's fine, like, because a more heterogeneous student population is a good thing. You don't want a whole bunch of students at your university that only have straight A's and only have 1500s on the SAT. Like, I actually think that's a good thing to have diversity in your student population. However, just be real about it. Be upfront Mm -hmm. about those policies and practices. That's kind of like, it's sort of, you know, I always used to, when I worked in schools, it's kind of like this, this like for some people, more information makes them more anxious and for others, less information makes them more anxious. And I think, I mean, obviously I are on the side of the second category of like knowledge less is power. information, knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. <laughs> yes. And especially for these, especially for families and students who do not, maybe there's not a history of highly selective college matriculation or college matriculation in their family, but students of color, they're disproportionately underrepresented in the process. They don't have access to like tutors and people like us and Mm -hmm. right. Like why not give people the information they need to make good decisions? Yeah. Like I'll use an example of, of conversations that I have to have with kids that I'm like, why don't schools just say that? (laughs) Like, If you want to be a business major, like we would prefer, well, whatever, whatever major, let's just say we would prefer that our applicants have at least completed AB calculus. Like our preference is actually AP calculus, AB prep, you know, even better is AP calculus, BC, like just say it. 
So I, I wish colleges would just be more upfront about what they are looking for for applicants and for specific majors or just for yeah. the college in general, right? Like, yes, your right. graduation requirements at your school are this. And let's say the requ the graduation requirements are actually kind of light. They're actually not necessarily going to make you right. competitive for a lot of colleges, yeah. right? And so just say, like, these are the things, like, Applicants who typically get into our school have at least this, right? They are taking this many advanced courses, advanced courses or are in the top 5% of their class. Like typically students right. who are coming to our school are going to be in like the top 1% of their class. Like that's fine. You should just say it and make it and put it somewhere that it's really clear to applicants. Like on right. your... Don't make it the school. <laughs> right. Like, just Don't put make it. it. There. Hunt. And yeah. To be fair, I think I've actually seen that. I forget which school, but I think actually think I have seen this. Some schools are doing this, are being trying yes. to be more transparent. And I think it's so appreciated, right? Yeah. Um, talk about the stuff in your when you go visit schools. Talk about it in your admissions videos. Like there are so many kids who are just kind of clueless about just how selective. Right. They, they don't understand highly, that. They don't yeah. understand, right? Because they're just like thinking, well, in my school, I'm doing pretty well. Like I'm taking yeah. some hard classes, not all of them, but I'm getting A's and I'm really involved and I have, you know, I've got band and I'm playing a sport <laughs> and I have, you know, I don't have a ton of free time, like, and I volunteer. And so, wait, is that, is, what else am I supposed to be doing? Right. Right. So tell, tell kids, what else should they be doing? What exactly are the kids that are getting into your school doing that you find to be outstanding or um, uh, what's the word that we student use in missions all the time? Compelling. <laughs> I was like, what was that in missions word we use all the time? Compelling. Compelling. Well, I think, okay. So I think that the other thing that can frustrate me is I remember having conversations with folks about this because, you know, I've been, I've been complaining about this since I was in my early twenties. So it's been a minute. Um, so since last year, <laughs> exactly. Um, and the retort, a common retort is, well, we, we don't always admit students who have, you know, we do admit plenty of engineering students every year who, who don't, don't have, have AP right. calculus. And I'm like, stop it. Like, just stop. No, you don't. Yes, it's true that Plenty. maybe out of every 100 students, you have a bit, maybe a there's couple. five to 10. Yeah. yeah, that there's a few have to bring this word back a compelling enough profile where it makes sense, you know, or there's reasonable explanation for why that perhaps they weren't able to like maybe they don't have AP calculus in their school, for example. So it's not all or nothing, but if the vast majority of students who are accepted have AP calculus say that, say the vast majority of students take AP calculus so that we are able, and you know, it's not a critique. It, this isn't about, though I am railing against the, you know, proverbial college man right now. It's not really about them. It's about young people who are at this critical stage of development, who are entering into a process that can feel highly vulnerable, highly personal, and where they are being asked to put themselves on the line for, for judgment. judgment. Yep. Know that. Remember that. That's what that process is. And as much as, and I remember an admission 
all of the verbal machinations I could do in like a auditorium of a thousand people to talk about how thoughtful it was and how measured we are. And I do believe that admission officers are very thoughtful and are very considerate. And that doesn't mean it's still not a highly vulnerable process for the child. So it's important, like, if you say you care about that, and I think colleges have a choice, they could also say they don't care about that. And, you know, it's kind of like how the UK system works. It's way simpler. It's like, you have to have a bunch of standardized testing. It's not about like, your extracurricular involvement. It's not about like your letters well, you and know. recommendations. Right. And it's, it's very it's black written. and white. It's kind right. of like more like graduate school admission in mm-hmm. this country. Mm-hmm. You could also opt for that. And there's something about that that's a little cleaner. But if you're going to practice and preach holistic admission, where you consider a student's overall background, not just their academic background, then I think it's important to be real, be honest, and help partner, partner with the other adults on the other side of the desk who are working with young people on this process and partner with families who perhaps have the least amount of access and information about this process so that they can make informed choices, you know, and not sort of. And one, having one community engagement officer on your team is (laughs) one diversity, equity, and inclusion person on your team is not like checking that box. Just Does not inclusion make. (laughs) Does that inclusion make? I mean, every college does it, but it's, I mean, I appreciate the effort and it's not enough. Uh, I do think that there are schools that are making good strides here. And, you know, so I don't, and I, we will absolutely bring some folks on from the admission side to kind of, you know, offer a more (laughs) balanced. We are are totally aware of the fact that this episode is so biased, biased. Okay, so let's just yeah. put it out there. If but you're an admissions person, I own my bias. I'm out with it. Yeah, transparent. I'm being transparent about my bias. Well, let me. Well, we need Ansuit. But what of what yeah. I want to share a story while you were talking about being a young admissions officer. Yeah. I want to share a story. It just reminded me of me being a young admissions officer. And I, I, to be fair, I think just because you work in admissions does not mean you have the single most solitary clue about what adolescent development is <laughs> what's no. appropriate like you have no, no idea or you you're, not, you're not, not why you're hired no you're not an educator you know what no. I mean like you are not you're hired because you've got a great personality and you're an extrovert and you like to talk a lot I mean that is literally how I got my admissions job I went to the USC career center after working and you're a, a hard worker you work hard you work hard and you like to travel and you like to be out and about with the yeah. people right yeah and so like and you can read I, a lot of files real fast. That too. That's true. You also have to read, you have to do a lot of critical thinking. But I went to the, the career center yesterday and they were like, oh yeah, you know, you really like to talk. Do you want to be, an, have you ever considered being an admissions officer? That was literally the qualification. Is that how you, that how you found your way to admissions? Yes. And she had just met that. with admissions and she had just met, met Tim, Tim Brunold, who's now the, the VP of enrollment at USC. But Tim and I had an informational interview and he was like we're actually hiring do you want to submit a resume I'm like okay (laughs) oh my god and that is how I got hired at USC thank you Tim Brunold for giving me my first job you know how you know how I got hired at USC this is not a I didn't go to the career center but I had an informational interview with John Burdick oh you did you better get John Burdick on the show (laughs) John Burke's at Cornell now. He's he's fancy pants. <laughs> yeah, fancy and he pants was like, Cornell. "This is what admission is," and this is, and and 
I mean, I loved working in admission. And I I also think, you know, admission officers do really great work. It's not, it's not a critique of like the admission office per se. It's a, it's more a critique of the, the ways in which universities and colleges, mostly from like the provost level, let's be real. The system. The system doesn't, isn't honest about it's, it's the system. system. It's It's not honest about the systemic barriers that are rooted in inequity that are designed to keep certain people in and certain people out. I mean, that's, that is true. It's just a a fact of life. And I think that's true of lots of things in life, right? Um, We don't always get the things that we want and that's like not inherently bad. I just want them to be more upfront with it. And, you know, the sort of latest move by highly selective schools to no longer publish admission data in the name of not engaging in some arms race that they have are completely complicit in perpetuating what strikes me as um what's the what's the adjective what's the metaphor it's a it 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 doesn't ring true no it's not authentic it's a thing it's It's something it's a thing i think it's probably well-intentioned i just think it's misguided yeah. And the, so this is back to my story. The, my As a young admissions officer, I remember I was invited to go talk. So as admission officers, high schools will contact you so you can go do not a presentation about your school per se, but just about the admissions process in general. Like, come yeah. talk about what it's like to, you know, what it's like to, to, for as an admissions officer, when you're looking at applications, like, what is it that you're looking for, blah, blah, blah. And I think I, I was invited to do this talk at a prep school in LA. I can't remember which one. And it's so funny. Looking back on it, I'm so like cringy about my the way that I thought that I should talk about admissions yeah. Yeah. because my conception of it based on what my understanding <laughs> based on based on like what I had gleaned from what was being told me told to me by my in meetings and whatnot. Not that it was in the training per se. But like, just this was my interpretation was that I should make admissions seem as selective as possible because that was what was important. Mm. Like in selling USC and talking about USC specifically, whenever I talked about USC, I should talk about it as though it were the hardest school to get into because that's what sells. Like Hmm. it was purely admission strategy. There was no care for how that made kids feel. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, I'm here to sell. I'm here to get applications. And the way that I'm going to get applications is to make us seem super selective. Yeah. Well, I mean, that is a strategy, right? And that is also like a well-researched, the scarcity mindset model mindset kind of encourages certain kinds of behavior in people. That's actually like a well-researched phenomenon in psychology, or you could read Freakonomics on the chapter on real estate agents. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) totally. I mean, and that was a hundred percent. That was all I was thinking about, you know, and I wonder how many, yeah. Like I didn't think like, oh, I should think it talk about this like holistic blah, blah, blah. I was just like, I'm trying to make my school seem as fancy as possible so that kids are like, oh, dang, this school's hard to get into. So therefore I want to apply because I need to get apps. Like (laughs) that's what we want, right? Like, interesting. you know what, what do we want? We want a ton of applications because (laughs) if we get a ton of applications, then we can deny as many as humanly possible to make ourselves seem more selective. Like, right. And, that pushes, and if you do that, your rankings go up, et cetera, et cetera. It's totally. It. Northeastern, I'm looking at you. You better stop. 
I mean, we could do a whole episode on that. Jesus. Yeah. Christ. And it's, it's, I mean, and it's, and we also were working in admission when a lot of the baby boomer children, like there was also some demographic realities that drove admission rates down in terms of like, there was like more students going into high school than kind of previously. And now the population are, is shifting in the other direction. But it's interesting. It reminds me of like an episode one of our podcast. I think mm-hmm. I said this and I think you said this too, that like ultimately a big reason why I left admission was because I would run into these really compelling students and I'd get to know students. Cause you know, you work the same territory year after year, you kind of know the players after a while. And it would sort of bum me out that by the time they landed on my desk, you know, they were kind of cooked, right? Like they couldn't really do a whole lot in, you know, November of their senior year to, to move the needle. And I was like, gosh, you know, if only someone had told you, you needed AP calculus in order to be in this program. If only someone had told you like that, this was sort of the range of, you know, classes, like, no, you shouldn't stop at just two years of a foreign language. You really need four years of the same foreign language. Like that started to really kind of bother me. Mm -hmm. And so that's why that's a big reason why I shifted sides of the desk and was like, okay, well now I'm going to take this insight and I'm going to share it mm-hmm. because colleges aren't necessarily sharing it to the degree of depth that they could be, that could help right. students, could help families. So right. I've calmed down, I think, since we started this episode, okay, good. <laughs> I punched myself out. Uh, well, anyways, I hope, I, you know, if there are, are, we, Meredith and I have our friends with many admission officers, so we might get a little bit of flag for this but you know no one's, oh well. no one's gonna want to have dinner with us at the national conference <laughs> i know when we go to NACAC next year they're gonna be like um we heard your episode <laughs> be like you just, too so we're clear everybody this was meredith's bone pick not mine uh, <laughs> 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 just kidding <laughs> but anyways okay so that's it for this episode uh, you know one of the things that meredith and i've been looking at is our podcast analytics so apparently like we actually have no idea what we're doing when it comes to analytics but apparently having followers is a good thing. So if you would follow our podcast, we would love it. And if you would share it with your friends, please, please, please do that. And also have them follow our podcast as well, because, you know, we're trying to up our production value and we're not going to do that unless we can get to a place where we can get sponsors. So <laughs> please help us do that. And we'll see you next time. See, that's transparency right there. That's transparency. <laughs> exactly. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you later. Thanks for listening to another episode of Shit Your Teenagers Won't Tell You. If you like what you're hearing and you have friends with teenagers, please share it with one of them. You can check out this episode and others on our website, wespeakteen.com. And we want to know what you want to know. So if you have questions or hot topics that you want us to cover, email us at hello at wespeakteen.com.